So we're in Luke. We are doing a series called True Story. Um, and we're going to be at the end of chapter 2. So verses 41 to 52 is where we'll be. While you're turning there, let me ask you this question. What is the most important thing you've ever lost? Um, just think about that. Or maybe think about this. What's something that you lose all the time? All the time. Yeah, like um, car keys. Um, what? What would you say, honey? Oh, hair. I thought you said beer. And I was like, what? What? When did that happen? Um, some people do lose their hair. It is true. Um, how many of you, tell the truth, you have laughed at somebody who asked where their glasses were while the glasses were on top of that person's head? Raise your hand. Yeah, I, um, one of the things about being a youth pastor for so long is you really master the art of making fun of people. And, and that was, those were the people that I used to make fun of all the time until I had this happen in my life. Um, I had just gotten my iPhone 4S, that goes way back, and I love that thing. Um, and so I was, I was talking to somebody, I don't know if you do this or not, but you, you kind of keep your phone in the same place all the time. Like now it's, it's kind of cool to put the back pocket, or maybe, but back then I didn't do the back pocket thing, I wasn't hip or whatever you are. If you do the back pocket, I had it in the front pocket. Um, and so I'm on the phone talking to my friend, and I'm just like, I'm in love with my phone, talking to them, and all of a sudden I felt my pocket, and I was like... Where, where's, my, where's my phone? I can't, I've lost, I've lost my phone. And I'm saying that out loud into the phone to the person on the other end of the phone. And they're like, what are you talking about? I said, I cannot find my phone. And they're like, you're on it. Oh. Yeah, so I don't make fun of people that lose their glasses anymore, right? Um, ever. Um, we lose, um, so- you know, socks is one of the top things that people lose. Um, at least one every load, right? At least one sock. Every load, um, wallets, I used to lose my wallet all the time, or I, I thought I lost it, I'd leave it in my car. I shouldn't tell you all this because now you can find my wallet anytime you want. Um, but I would leave my wallet in the side pocket of my car because I knew I was going to get back in, right? And um, my dad would just, he would borrow my car. My, I love my dad. My, he, my dad would borrow my car. He would reset all my preset radio stations to Christian music. <laughs> and he would take my wallet and not tell me. And so I would then get in the car, and I would panic like, I'm sure I left my wallet there, but it's not there. And my dad stole it. And he wouldn't wouldn't tell me. He would just keep it until I came and asked him where it was. (sighs) Now that I'm a dad, I think that's a great idea, and I should do it more. Um, That's fantastic. So so anyway, we lose all kinds of stuff all the time. Believe it or not, one of the most pop, one of the top things, top seven things that people lose is chapstick. Um, But today we're going to see in this passage that, that Mary and Joseph lost something a lot more important than chapstick. They lost the Son of God, right? We're going to find this in Luke chapter 2. They, they lost the Messiah. Um, and so what I think we'll find today is we'll find out why they lost him, and then I hope we find out how they found him and how we can as well, because I know we're going to poke fun at Mary and Joseph for like, geez, you lost the Messiah. How can you do that? I mean, we lose Jesus all the time. Okay, so let's read it, and then um, we'll, we'll walk through it. We're in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. Let me just read it real quick. It says this, Every year his parents, that's Mary and Joseph, went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. We'll get to that in just a second. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. 
Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among the relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. It's probably the only time that's ever been said about a 12-year-old. Would you agree? Yeah. That was very quiet, but you all know it's true. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So let's just... um. Let's talk through this real quick, because when you first read verses 41 to 46, it's easy to think that this story is a lot like another famous story where parents lost their kid. Remember this story? Remember that? You start thinking, oh, like Home Alone wasn't really an original story. It was in the Bible long before it was a movie. But this, this story has nothing to do with that story, okay? And right now, some of you are too young to know Home Alone. You're like, what's that about? Just watch the movie, fantastic stuff. But this just has nothing to do with Home Alone. This is nothing like it. And, you know, Home Alone, parents wake up. They're so frazz, frazzled, and they're in a hurry, and they, get on the, they, they leave their son behind. That didn't happen here. Mary and Joseph were not irresponsible parents. They didn't forget where Jesus was. They, they were just kind of following the customs of the time. And here's how people would travel back then. They would travel in big caravans. The women and children traveled in the front. The men traveled in the back. And, and so it was common for kids to kind of hang out with an aunt, maybe, you know, other cousins. So it was really normal for them not to be together as a family. And they would travel and travel and travel until they had finished traveling for the day. And then they would all kind of stop, get stuff situated. And somewhere in the evening, all the parents would kind of get reunited with their kids. And so this was not uncommon. They weren't mean, horrible parents. They hadn't had enough of Jesus right? They just, they just got to the campsite, wherever that was, and as they started looking around, they were like, oh, snap, where's the Son of God? And so they had to turn around and go back another day, right? They'd already gone one day out. They had to turn around and go back another day, and then on the third day, as they searched for him, it says that they, they found him. So I want to cut them a little bit of slack, but I still want to make the point that they lost Jesus, so, you know, I don't always tell you the title of a message, but today's title is Losing Jesus. How do you lose Jesus? And I think what we can learn from the story is there's three things, three reasons why they lost Jesus. And, and here, here's the first one. They allowed the community to be the primary caregiver. Now, again, you, you just kind of give me some latitude. I just told you how that was normal back in the day, right? It was normal back in the day for family to kind of hang out with family, cousins with cousins. You know, I, I like my aunt better than my mom. I'm going to hang out with her today, and I'll meet you up later tonight at the campsite, right? That was normal. But still, they, they allowed for the community to be the primary caregiver. And we talk about community all the time here at the gathering. Community groups are, are going to be getting cranked up. It's time to crank up another quarter of community groups. We encourage you to get plugged into a community group. We believe community is so important because community is where we learn how to love each other. We learn how to forgive each other. Um, we learn how to have unity with one another when we don't agree with one another. 
And, and if you've been in church um, any at all in your life, you know that that's one skill that if the church could learn, the church would grow a lot faster. Because what happens is, I don't agree with you, well, I don't agree with you, out. That's what happens. But community is where you go, no, man, I'm here and you're here and we're going we're gonna to figure this out. And we may not always agree, but we're going to find unity even in a disagreement. That happens in community. It does not happen at home watching a preacher on TV. It happens in community. But listen, and here's what I want you to see. When we pass Jesus off onto the community, we will lose him. That's really important. When we start to say, hey, it's the community's job to make sure that I've got Jesus, then I'm going to lose him. You know what happens when, when you, if you do what Mary and Joseph did and you say, hey, I'm so glad I've got this, and it's a great community. You guys look fantastic today. We've got this packed house full of people that love Jesus. If I just kind of get my family here, then by osmosis, somehow they will find Jesus. Here's what happens when, when you do that. You put pressure on me to preach the best sermons ever, every single week. If you've been here long enough, let's just say a few weeks, you know that's not going to happen. Right? It's not going to happen. You put pressure on a church to plan events and programs to get you to do what God actually called you to already be doing. When you allow the community to become the primary caregiver. I love... You know, Phil's, he's preached a message on this. I know he put a quote on Facebook from a book he's reading right now. But I love this whole, the whole concept of, like, we are called as parents to pastor our children, to pastor our families. It's on me to learn to have devotions in my family, with my family, in my house. Not to say to them, oh, you will be in church every Sunday. You will eat one meal a week. So when we make the community the primary caregiver, we get things a little bit out of whack. I think that's one way that they lost Jesus. It's good when community supports us in our walk with Jesus. It's bad when they have to hold us up and move our legs for us to get us to walk with Jesus. Community is meant to support us, not necessarily carry us. And I mean for your whole life. Now, I am thankful. I want to make sure you understand this. I'm thankful. I've been in churches when my life went to um, H-E double hockey sticks, right? It's just like, it just went bad. I've had years in my life just were like, can we forget those years? And I was so thankful to be in a community that for those days could pick me up and could carry me. But if they were still doing that, they're dropping me, right? At some point, they're just like, that's, that's work, man. It's hard. Community is supposed to support us, not carry us. So, so don't leave your spiritual growth in the hands of those around you. Take responsibility for it yourself. When I was serving in a church and I felt like God had called me to leave that church, he had called me to, um, to go out um, and pursue another avenue in ministry, I remember saying to the pastor's wife, I don't know how I'm going to do this because I'm so going to miss your husband's preaching. And here's what she said to me. She said, maybe it's time to learn how to eat on your own. Oh, was that the good buy you had for me? <laughs> that felt like a bad buy, right? <laughs> but it is true. Like, we got to learn how to, at home, open up the Bible and read this and feed ourselves and let the Spirit nourish us. And then whatever happens here on a Sunday is icing on that cake. 
Don't let community become the primary caregiver for you. Don't do that. You'll lose Jesus when you do. Here's the second thing that they did. These are big words. I'll have to explain it. They allowed the significance to be lost in the significant. Uh, One thing I get out of this is that Mary and Joseph were dedicated. Verse 41 says that they went to the feast of the Passover every year. Now, Passover for the Jews. This refers back to um, Exodus chapter 12. Um, You can read that on your own time, but it's the story of how they were enslaved in Egypt. And God said, look, I'm going to, you know, all these plagues. The last big event that took place on on that first Passover night, he said, I'm going to send out, I'm going to send death. And the death's going to come through the camp. And so if you, if you don't have blood on the doorpost, then your firstborn son's going to die. So, of course, if you're a Jew and you heard that, what are you making sure you have on your doorpost? Yeah, like you're just bucket full. It's just like no one's dying here tonight, baby, right? You're just making sure it's covered. And so the, the angel would see the blood and pass over that house. And so, man, if that happened in your life, wouldn't you want to celebrate that all the time? I mean, that's so much bigger than Christmas, right? Like Christmas, we get gifts, but like I'm alive, right? I'm alive. And so the Jews would celebrate it every year, the Feast of the Passover. And there were three feasts that men were encouraged to come to Jerusalem for. But if they were poor, and we know from last week that Mary and Joseph were poor, if they were poor, they couldn't go to all three. They would make sure they went to one, and it was Passover. It was a week-long festival, and they went every year. They were dedicated. It was a significant event. It was a big deal, and they lost Jesus in the middle of it. Now, now get this. Okay, this is going to sound really religious, but get this. Jesus, we know from the Scriptures, became the Passover lamb, right? He's like the one lamb. Like when he died on the cross, his blood covered our sin just like the blood covered that doorpost. And his blood was so, so effective, was such the perfect sacrifice that we don't drag animals in here anymore to church to slaughter them, kill them, put blood on you, sprinkle on your neighbors. Your, we don't do that. Because the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice ended us needing to make a sacrifice. Now, now, you understand what I'm saying? So when I say he's the Passover lamb, that's what I mean. Get this, okay, just get this. Mary and Joseph lost the Passover lamb as they celebrated Passover. Sounds a lot like Christians that lose Jesus in the middle of communion, worship, church attendance, reading the Bible. We lose the very significance that makes that event significant. They did that. They lost Jesus, the Passover lamb. And and here's why we do it. And I'm not saying this is why they did it, but this is why we do it. Because for us, communion becomes a pre-lunch snack. Baptism becomes a pre-service add-on. Worship, studying the Bible, feeding ourselves at home, they all just become options. They're like adding a sunroof to a car. And when you make it like that, you lose the significance of what you're doing. And today we'll celebrate communion. You're like, well, of course, it's the first Sunday of the month. And we celebrate communion because Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Because the Passover lamb covered our sins. And when we take communion, we remember that. And if we ever stop remembering that, communion is no longer that significant. They lost the Passover lamb as they celebrated Passover. Jesus is the only one that's truly significant. 
So we can't lose Jesus in the study of or activities for Jesus. When I left to go to seminary, I don't know what it is about when I leave places and people say things to me and I remember what they said, right? Like it becomes so huge. But when I left seminary, the, the last bit of, bit of advice that my pastor that I was leaving that church to go to seminary for, he looked at me, he said, whatever you do, don't lose Jesus in the study of him. And that's what happened here. They lost Jesus in a, in a festival that was all about Jesus, pointing to what he was going to do, and they lost him. Mary and Joseph lost him. We can't afford to make the same mistake. Now, here's, here's the third one. If you're going to hate any of them, this is the one you're going to hate, okay? They allowed Jesus to be their son more than their Lord. Let me show you where that is in, in here, okay? Um, verse, verses 48 and 49. When, when Mary finally found him, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Um, parents, have you ever lost your kids? You remember like, how, how jacked up you got, like your insides? You were like on the point of tears and just, oh, God, if, please let them be okay. And then the minute that you found them, you were going to kill them. Remember that? I, that's why I read that into here. Like the word, it says that she, she searched anxiously for him. Um, it, it says like she was tormented. That word actually means I was anxiously searching for you. The word literally means I was tormented as I searched for you. It's like losing your kid in Walmart, you know. And you know where your kids are. If you ever lose your kids in Walmart, they're somewhere in the clothing section inside the rack. Just start moving clothes away and they'll be in there going, hey, right. But once you find them, it's like now I'm going to kill you. You better run, right? It's on now. That's how Mary was. She's, she's searching for Jesus. And when she finally found him, she treated him like a son. Hey, what are you doing here? Why have you done this to your father and I? And he responded with this really curious phrase. He says, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And in the Greek, in my father's house is not so much a location as it is a statement of authority. So he wasn't going, hey, I'm over here like on, on Main Street at the house of God. He was saying, no, 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 no. I get that you're my mom and dad, but I have, a, I have another father. He's 12 years old. He's not being a jerk. He's just saying, let, let, me, let me let you in on something. There's a higher authority that's ruling my life. I'm not just your son. I'm going to be your Lord. When we shrink Jesus down, when we make him manageable, when we try to make him anything other than the Lord of our lives, we will lose him. I, I love this, um, this little dialogue from C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, Susan's talking to Mr. Beaver at the end of the movie. She's watching kind of Aslan's walking away, and, and she says, he, he says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought... Maybe he was a man. Is he, is he quite safe? I would feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And this is Mr. Beaver's response. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. This is, this is the Lord that we serve. We don't serve a, a Lord named Jesus who's a kid, who's a baby in a manger. He doesn't stay small so we can make him do what we want. He's Lord. And they lost him because they forgot that he was the Lord and they saw him as a son. 
He will be Lord of all or he won't be Lord at all. So that's how they lost Jesus. We've got to ask this question as we, as we kind of wrap this up. How can we find Jesus again? If we've lost Jesus, how do we find him again? So I've got three things that they did in this passage. We find him the same way as parents did. And here's, here's the first thing they did. And this sounds so simple, okay, but just hang with me. They, they realized he wasn't with them. And that's the first step, isn't it? Towards finding Jesus again, you got to realize he's not even with you. Um, I was thinking about Samson in Judges 16, 20. So if you don't know the story about Samson, he's got this really long hair. Um, if Samson was alive today, it would be a man bun, right? But he's got this really long hair. And the hair is the key to his success. It's what gives him strength. And so um, he met Delilah. You may not know the Bible story, but you've heard pop songs about it, right? Um, so he meets Delilah, and she tricks him into telling, him, telling her the secret of his strength. And he finally, he, he, he messes with her, tries all this stuff. He's a, he's a slow man and does not catch on. Eventually tells her the real reason. It's, it's my hair. So while he's sleeping, she cuts his hair off. And this verse that we're going to read comes from um, every time that she would try what he said, she'd bring in her buddies to arrest him. And then he would wake up and like, Rawr! you know, whatever, throw stuff off and beat them all up. And for whatever, they kept trying and he kept messing with her. But when he finally told her the reason, it's my hair. And she cut his hair off. She woke him up and said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. And here's our, the sentence I want you to get. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Like, can I just say this, like, collectively to the church? And if I could get the whole church of America into this space, and I could say one thing to the church in America, I would say, some of you don't even know that the Lord has left you. I'm preaching to you right now from Luke chapter 2 about losing Jesus. And you're like, I'm good. He's still with me. Although every, every one of those three things that I just talked about apply to you, maybe apply to me, and we still, in our arrogance, kind of sit here and go, we're good. I mean, I'm in church, right? We don't even know that we've lost him. So the first step towards finding Jesus is maybe to realize that he's not even with you. I, I love it. At least they looked around. At least they realized, oh, snap, the Messiah's not here. Take, take inventory of your life. Take the time to ensure that he's with you. And then, then when you realize he isn't, you can begin to do the second thing that they did. And I love this. They repented. Now, yeah, I know you're, you're a Bible scholar, so you're reading the story going, dude, word repents nowhere in here. I, I can't think of a better illustration in Scripture of what repentance is than what Mary and Joseph did. They stopped. They turned in the opposite direction. And they went back to Jesus. That's repentance. They searched for him. They realized he wasn't here. And they stopped. They turned around and went back to get him. Listen, um, again, I know I'm being really, really like harsh and I'm saying things like they are. But can I just tell you um, the American church, the American Christian's definition and, and of, of repentance? It's we stop. We realize Jesus isn't with us. And then we continue to walk the way that we're walking as we cry about the fact that he's not with us. That's not repentance. That's stupid. <laughs> repentance is, I will not continue to walk away, further away from where Jesus is. I will turn around and I will go a different direction. Back to him. They repented. Man, if, you, if you've lost Jesus in your life and you realize that you have, 
the best advice I can give you is just stop. Because the more you continue that way, the further you're walking from him. Just stop. Just freeze tag. And then turn around. And head back to where he is. What's, what's really funny to me is that they found him at the temple. Um, and I say this again with like, I, I'm a pastor. And even more important than that, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I want everybody to find Jesus. I want everybody to be with Jesus. And, and I just happen to be living in an age when it just seems like people, I know it doesn't sound like this today because this place is packed, but it just seems like people are just leaving the church in, just in droves. Like I'm, I, I'm out. And you used to hear this slogan all the time, I love Jesus, I hate church. And he's just leaving the church. I'm gone. I'm out of here. Like, why are you leaving the church? I just got to go be with Jesus. People think they've lost Jesus, so they leave, they leave church to find Jesus. In this story, they went back to church because that's where Jesus was. He was in the temple. He was in churches. They knew it then. That's where they found him. You, you've got friends that have lost Jesus. You know, the best thing you could do, outside of just living Jesus in front of them, bring them to church. I'm pretty sure they can find Jesus here. I was hanging out with you this morning as you worshiped, and I kept thinking, pretty sure Jesus is liking this. I mean, yeah, we don't sing that great, but he likes this. He's here. And they went back and found him in church. And then so after we, real, we realize he's not with us, we repent. Here's the third thing we do, and then we'll wrap this up. <laughs> let, me just make, make, let me just kind of get a feel for the crowd. Um, how many of you are, um, you're okay calling yourself a control freak? Raise your hand. Yeah, you're making sure you raise it perfectly, right? <laughs> so this is not going to be your favorite one, but it's okay. Ready? They released control. Remember that third way that we lose Jesus? When, we, when they saw him as a son more than as a Lord. And so the way that you find Jesus, this third thing you got to do, you got to release control. You've got to release control. They were still his parents and they still raised him. But what I love in the, in the Gospel of Luke, and you'll see this as we go forward. This is the, like if the whole thing swings on a pivot, this is the pivot. This story that we're reading today, this is when everything turns from all the people that like, came before Jesus, kind of got him ready. Had, you know, he was born, and he's kind of getting raised. He's a child, but now he's going to swing, and Mary and Joseph are going to take a step back, and Jesus is going to become center of the story. And that would never have happened if they hadn't just, they didn't release control. They allowed him to grow. They allowed him, even at 12 years old, to become the leader because he was the Lord. That's what it means to be Lord, right? I mean, you've got to let somebody lead. Jesus is the Lord of our lives. We let him lead us. People are all about resolutions right now. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have joined a gym or bought some kind of exercise equipment? Just yesterday, right? We're all about establishing new routines, or better routines than we had last year. And that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's something that I want you to see. Every routine has a rut within it. I mean, literally, the word routine has R-U-T in it, like rut. Every routine has a rut in it. And just like Mary and Joseph, we can lose Jesus in the routine and find ourselves in a rut without him. 
But, but here is your big idea. Keeping Jesus in the routine helps keep the rut out of it. Keeping Jesus in the routine helps keep the rut out of it. We, we lose Jesus when we forget that nothing we do for him is as important as him. We would do well this year to examine what we're doing. Make sure that Jesus is actually still with us. Routines are great until we lose the purpose for them. And then the routine is nothing more than a rut. Keeping Jesus in the routine helps keep the rut out of it. I'm going to close this morning sharing with you um, a text I got last night. Um, the Kimmer family is not here today. They're out of town. And um, Bridget, who leads Kid City, sent me a, a text last night. And it's, it said this, told me what verse to read. And she said, read the footnotes about the winter rain. We've had a lot of rain lately, haven't we? Have you noticed that? Tons of rain. Crazy. Hate it. If all that rain was snow, how much snow we have? Who knows? 28 and a half feet. I don't know. I'm just spitballing there. My spit would be frozen if it was snow. Um, but the verse is Hosea 6.3. Let me read it to you. Let me tell you why it matters. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Who are we going to acknowledge? Lord. Say it out loud. Lord. The Lord, right? How do we lose Jesus? They, they treat him as a son instead of a Lord. He'll be Lord of all or he won't be Lord at all. And so Hosea 6.3 says, let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. And surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. What I found in the footnote, she sent it to me, she said, read the footnote. The spring rains come in a time of, of planting, of plowing. But the winter rains come in a time of harvest. How do we see an increase in the kingdom of God? How do we see an increase in souls coming to know Jesus? It's when we acknowledge that he is Lord. That's when it happens. When our lives look like we're following the Lord, not just some suggestion. When we're not adding things on like an option on the car, but when he is Lord of our lives, when what he said determines what we do. And when that happens, 16,007 people in Albemarle, I know you'll be glad when a new census number comes out because I'll get to learn a new number, right? Those people in Albemarle, the 60,000 plus in Stanley County, they look at us and they say, man, they're, they're actually following him. They actually believe what he says. They haven't lost Jesus. Maybe we should check him out as well. So keep your routines. Do the routines. Start your reading plan. We got reading plans on our website. You can follow. Do whatever you want. Get, get you version out. Pick five, six, seven reading plans. Whatever you want to do. Start a new routine. Exercise. Whatever you do. But I'm, I'm asking you. Keep Jesus in your routine so you can keep the road out of it. Don't lose Jesus. Find him.